You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Onyx is an app you can go and get from an app store and you download it and you put it on your phone and now you have a digital mapping service on your phone with GPS capability right so you can look at a topographic map you can look at a satellite map or you can look at their hybrid version which is a combination of both that's my favorite layout the best part about onyx in my opinion is it gives you the ability to leave these little things called waypoints and each waypoint is information that you can use at a later date for example whether i'm using a are going to check a trail camera or I'm going to set up a tree stand or I want to leave a trail from my truck to my tree stand so I can navigate better in the dark. Onyx allows you to do so many different things that actually help you become a more efficient outdoorsman. Again, whether you're hunting or fishing or just enjoying nature, you can leave these waypoints and it's basically a journal of where you've been and what you were doing. You can also leave waypoints for scrapes and rubs or where you saw a turkey or where you found some mushrooms or uh, look for boat landings or where you found a nice pocket of fish. All right. If you want to find out more information about Onyx, visit onyxmaps.com or you can go to your app store and search for it there. You can also save 20% by entering the discount code NATION20 for first-time users. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 56, where we talk with Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving holiday weekend. You ate too much food, you, you snacked too much, you drank too much beer, but uh, that's that's what the season's about, right? In America, that's how we do things. So I hope it, <laughs> hope it was a good one, and I hope you had time to spend with family and friends and shared lots of laughs. I actually had Thanksgiving the weekend prior. So on a, on Thanksgiving day, I went out and uh, did some hunting myself. I have a late season private land only cow tag that I'm still trying to fill. The season actually runs till the end of January. So I do have some time. But anyways, I went out for a couple days over Thanksgiving break and the elk uh, we're nowhere to be seen. <laughs> they're, uh, you know, they're either there or they're not on this particular piece of property. And, um, you know, they just weren't there. I, I, I scoured the whole 800 acre piece for two days and only found a few sets of, of old elk tracks. So, um, kind of is what it is. It's not like you can, uh, bring them on the property or, uh, fence them in and shoot them. It's just, just not how it goes. That's, that's hunting, but it was fun either way. So I had an enjoyable Thanksgiving weekend recently. I got, I got a chance to set up my new expedition archery bow. It's the MX 16. It's the brand new 2020 flagship bow from expedition archery. And that thing is bad ass. I love it. Um, 
smooth shooting. It's got a new caged forged riser, so it's stiffer, uh, less vibration. Uh, they changed up their cam design, uh, so it's got a, a better draw cycle. It's um, a great back wall. It's just I, I love the bow. Um, I'm really looking forward to having them on the podcast here pretty soon, so uh, stay tuned for that. Um, so I'm really enjoying that bow and, and shooting it. And what else? I don't know. I'm, I'm blabbing too much. So um, today's episode, we have Cliff Gray, and he he is the owner of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. It's an outfit in Colorado. They do deer and, and elk hunts, and he'll, he'll, he'll explain it in the podcast. But I've had him on the show. This is now the third time. And you know, if any of you guys listen to the Joe Rogan podcast or kind of more that mainstream level, you'll notice he has on uh, certain guests on on a regular basis, or you know, at least once a year or a couple times a year. And and I feel like Cliff is one of those one of those renowned guys. I just love talking to him because, yeah, we talk about some strategy strategy and some expectations of of elk hunting and and. Um, you know, what, what makes a, a good successful elk hunter, deer hunter here in Colorado. But we dive into a lot, especially towards the end, I'd say the last third of the episode, we're talking a lot about the state of Colorado and, and it's elk hunting and, you know, some policy uh, levels, um, where we're at with populations and harvest statistics, uh, season date changes for 2020. And a lot of good theory and analysis and, just conversation from Cliff's experiences over the past, you know, 20, 30 years of, of living and guiding and hunting in Colorado. So, uh, he, he knows both sides of the spectrum from the business side, uh, of being an outfitter to also the, you know, the hunting side of, of pursuing these animals and, and knowing the terrain and the environment. So it's really, really interesting conversation. I, I loved it. Um, had a blast talking with Cliff. So, Let's not wait any longer. Let's get Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, Cliff Gray with Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. How are you, Cliff? Good. Thanks for having me again, Adam. You're welcome. I think this is uh, I think this is number three uh, episode for uh, for you guest starring on the podcast so you're a you're a transition wild celebrity <laughs> nice man <laughs> time, time flies by I, I, and it's probably been over two or three years so it's pretty wild i know yeah we've uh we, we it's been a little bit since we've last chatted and i'm i'm glad we made the time to to sit down and talk again because uh you're you're the man when it comes to to, to talking elk and, and deer hunting on public land in colorado so i'm happy to have you <laughs> Good deal, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, so what's the good word? What have you been up to? I know you're just coming off a, uh, you know, finishing up the rounding out the season here for elk and deer hunting in Colorado. What um, are you just kind of regrouping after a, a long season of guiding? What you been up to lately? 
Yeah, so that's you know this season for whatever reason ran a little bit longer. We had we had more later season hunts, and then my wife had a sheep tag, so we kind of went. I went right from guiding late season stuff for business to uh, to hunting with her. So that was another six or seven day deal at the end. So we've we've really only been off for like five or six days. So yeah, pretty much just recouping, <laughs> catching up on all the stuff that you know that goes goes by the wayside during hunting season. So. Yeah, and it takes me it takes me about four months for that not to be the case. So <laughs> <laughs> I know. So that's what I've been working on. Yeah, I'm sure you know because like as a guide, you're you're spending most of your fall, uh, you know, in the woods and 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 doing that whole thing, and and you got to come back to okay, well, I got to run a business too. So you're paying bills, you're you're running the books, you're <laughs> managing a lot of that stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, just the administrative stuff. It's amazing <laughs> how much it. Uh, I find, I'm sure you find that in your work and your podcast and everything else. All the administrative stuff adds up. Yeah, yeah. It's not always just the, the fun stuff all the time, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's the only study of this business, right? Because people, everybody seems to want to be a hunting guide or outfit or whatever, and they don't realize only, only 10% of it's all the fun stuff. I know, yeah. I imagine, um, you know, with, with that, a lot of it's just – setting you're preparing right it's a lot of it's a lot of behind the scenes work and a lot of logistics i'm sure that go into moving people up the mountain get camp set up uh running yeah. horses all that yeah, yeah that's the most of the business honestly it's like if you really step back i think if you compare it to like most businesses uh in i mean i'm obviously probably biased or have a skewed perception of this but it's a logistical nightmare, right? Because <laughs> all your employees are seasonal, all your, you know, your whole, your weather, your business is very weather dependent and uh, has a lot of variability to it. And like you say, all in your, in a, just in, in an uncontrolled environment. So it is what it is. I think I've gotten used to it over time, but sometimes when I step back and look at this world from a business perspective, it's like, wow, you know, you just kind of, I guess you get, you get a little callous to all that, all that stuff. So it's not, but it, it does make me kind of laugh a little bit. <laughs> I know. You, well, you've been doing it long enough. I'm sure it's uh, it's 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 no different than than anything else for you anymore. So you're probably used to the little bit of a rodeo circus that that comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to limit it and keep it keep it under control. But it is what it is, right? For sure, for sure. So you you mentioned the um, desert bighorn sheep with uh, sheep hunt with your with your wife Amy. How did I? Obviously, I saw the picture. She killed an awesome ram. But how did, how did that go? Is that a pretty cool hunt? Yeah, no, it's an awesome hunt. It's uh, it, we it ended up being longer than uh, than I had anticipated. I mean, we have little kids, so it's like for me and my wife, we used to hunt quite a bit together before we had little kids. But for I don't think that's the I mean, I don't think we've hunted together, like, really on a multi-day hunt for, uh, I don't know, my oldest daughter seven, so probably seven or eight years at least. So it's kind of, it's <laughs> to doing that. But it's tricky, too, because you got to have somebody watch your kids, right? So I, uh, you know, my parents were out here for a little bit, watched them for four or five days, and we actually ended up, um, it didn't work out over those four or five days. We saw lots of rams. We we're a little picky, and then also Amy. Amy's just very conservative about you know how she's going to shoot one in terms of making sure it's just a great you know good opportunity. She's all set. So we had lots of opportunity, but didn't make it happen there the first four or five days. 
So uh, I don't know if you saw the kid the or the pictures, Adam, but we actually were able to get all my little kids in with the, in the picture. I saw that. We, I I had to take them. I had to take them all. We took them all back with us. So we were hunting <laughs> sheep with a party of five, which included uh, my two-year-old, my five-year-old, and my seven-year-old. Wow. So um, yeah, we got we had a little uh, a little luck was pitched our way too on that, but um, <laughs> but it was good, man. They're they're fun hunts. I mean. Uh, you have you ever spent any time in that in that kind of high desert stuff? Down I haven't. There? You know, that's a whole different world to me. Yeah, yeah, and it and it, 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 it was kind of to me too. I mean, I've spent some a little bit of time um, down, you know, down around that 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 canyon country, but not very much. And uh, it's, I mean, I, I it's underappreciated because it's beautiful country to hunt, and plus the conditions are pretty nice, right? It's, oh yeah. You know, you're never never gets below freezing so um or close to it you know so it's a it's a nice uh change but no it's cool man the sheep are running they're they're neat they're a neat animal uh they're they're you know they're very similar obviously to rockies but um but they do have their differences so yeah it was fun man that's great and uh that that tag takes i mean that's a sheep and goat and moose are kind of a different point draw system right so like how how many points? I mean, did that take a lot of years? For, has she been trying to draw that tag for a while, or what did that look like? Well, yeah. So actually, the deserts in Colorado are pure random, so you can't. Wow. They don't have points. So like, so you know when you, uh, I'm sure you put in for bighorns in Colorado, yep. and you, you're probably accumulating points. So each year you can either uh, continue to accumulate points and put in for the draw for Rockies, or you you can put in for the desert random draw and uh and most people who are accumulating points for rockies they're not going to give up a year to put in for the random desert draw so but my wife does because she doesn't she hasn't she hasn't she hasn't been putting in for for rocky tagged so um so it just made sense for her to just go the random route so she just got lucky um, no wow. I mean, I think even for a resident, I think those are probably one in 400, one 500 type of draw tags. Wow. So, um, somebody's got to draw it, right? <laughs> exactly. Might as well be Amy. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> well, that's great. That it was fun, like... man. It's in, 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 it was a nice, I mean, it was nice because there's lots of, you know, there's lots of sheep in those selfies, so. Yeah, well, and and to have the whole family there, uh, although it's that's got to be tough logistically. But what a what a cool experience to have all your kids there, and you know, to be able to be there during that moment. That's that's pretty amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you could repeat it if you tried type of deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you had the odds stacked against you, I'm sure, with a a party like that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but it's all good. We made it made it work. Well, very cool. Um, well, before we, I, I, there's a number of topics I want to talk about here today, Cliff, and just you know, we'll jump into them. But um, before we get started, for people who haven't heard you on one of the previous episodes, tell us a little bit about yourself and and Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Yeah, so uh, I live I live in Eagle, Colorado, and then we operate our business off my family's ranch that's adjacent to the Flat Tops Wilderness. Um, the majority of my business is deer and elk in the flat tops, but I do a bunch of other, other species. And I, I shouldn't say the majority. Um, it's probably half that and then half all the other species that accumulate, you know, accumulated up, but back based. Um, and, uh, like I said, we do it in the wilderness area and we do a mix of 
guided hunts. We do them out of a lodge that we have. We also will do them off the mountain, and then we do a bunch of drop camps. So drop camps are kind of the do-it-yourself option, um, and that's of, of my wilderness stuff. That's a big segment of it. There seems to be a growing popularity of people wanting to be packed in and having some of the logistical support that we offer. Um, you know, just based on the fact that really the only way, only way into these areas is horse and mule or hiking. So we, we kind of fill that gap in terms of the service provider, um, particularly in archery, archery seems to continue to grow. Um, and so in our permits are continuing to grow. We've actually kind of grown our business a little bit that way. So I think now I have 11 or 12 different camps we use. And uh, that's kind of the wilderness part of the business. Um, I do a bunch of sheep and goat hunting throughout the state, uh, including in our core area around the flat tops. We do do some sheep hunting. So that's part of it. Um, That stuff's obviously all draw. And then I do just a smidge of private land stuff. Um, Not very much at all, but a little bit. I kind of dabble in that. And then um, it seems kind of endless when I, when I say it. it's like I got too much going on, which I do, but I have tried <laughs> to get it, get it focused down. Um, we, I still do a fair amount of bear, bear hunting in the spring in uh, British Columbia. And then I think, I think I've been doing probably nine to 10 odd ad hunts here in January through March down in Texas. So, um, that's kind of the gamut of things. And, and uh, if anybody has any questions on that, questions on that stuff, I try to keep my my website up to date and full of as much relevant info as possible. And, and the best way to get to that is ftguides.com, and uh, that has a bunch of info. I try to keep up on Instagram and all that stuff too, so people can follow me on that. Yeah, no, you do a really good job at at, at both the social media and the website. It just does have a lot of good just general information it's just and, and videos and you know what to expect what to bring um just yeah i i recommend everybody to check it out it's it's a really good resource for sure um do you do you sure. ever have do you have ever ever have anybody like come out with maybe like certain expectations or maybe unrealist unrealistic expectations when it comes to like a guided uh you know wilderness hunt like in my mind i feel that like an hiring an outfitter uh, or a guide is is like like we kind of talked about earlier. It's more of the logistics. It's a it's a service. Um, it's an advantage for uh, uh, you know getting into the backcountry, having a place to stay, and then getting an animal out if if you're successful. Um, I feel like maybe some people, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like maybe some people have this expectation that maybe the success rates are like going to be extraordinarily higher because they have a guide um which in a sense they will be higher but i feel like the real value add of an outfitter is the logistics and kind of the support do you you know what i'm kind of saying there do you have people that have like unrealistic kind of goals or expectations for that type of hunt or is it kind of like everybody knows what's what's going down yeah so it's uh i mean i think you nailed it and the reason the reason this stuff occurs is because um, not all outfitting is the same, right? Like some outfitting, like if you take my odd ad hunts, right? Like we have very, we have a controlled in, environment. It's not a high fence ranch, but it's a 80,000 acre ranch and we're the only guys who hunt it. So yeah. <laughs> we can monitor how many are there, when they're there, the quality of them, all of that. That outfitting does exist. And those variables are somewhat, you can control those to some extent. I mean, if they're free-ranging animals, nothing's perfect, but you can control that stuff. 
when you're talking about the wilderness outfitting, a lot of this stuff's out of control, particularly or out of our control, not out of control, but out of our control. <laughs> can't, you know, I can't really, you know, I don't make management decisions, um, you know, in that area. I can't, I can't this year harvest X mountain and the next year want to harvest, you know, I don't have that control. So in the end, we are more of a service provider, right? Like the the things that we can control, we do our best at controlling, and that's all the logistics, all of all of that stuff you, you already mentioned. So I think you nailed it on that front. Um, I will say that it's it's not an issue really in in my business, and part of that, and this this I'm not trying to like say that I'm better at this than anybody else, but it's something I think I've been able to develop over time, and the website and stuff is part of that, and that's that I try to. You, the whole part, the whole booking part of the business is trying to manage people's expectations. You know what I mean, yeah. Adam? So I don't, yeah. I don't want people to show up with bad, uh, um, or not bad, but um, like expectations that are above what they should be or whatever, because I could blame it on them for having those expectations, but it's still going to potentially be an unhappy person. So I try to make sure all the expectations are up front whenever we, we book people. That's a big theme amongst myself and all my guides and make people, make sure people know what they're, what they're getting, getting into. Now people can, you know, just psychologically, I think people have a tendency to sometimes when you're booking them, uh, look at it one way. And then when they're there, they might, things might change a little bit in their mind. Um, but that's very, very few people. If you do a good job of making sure people know what they're getting into, most people are happy and they understand what you're talking about. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, the wilderness outfitting, if you think about it from a business perspective, it's the highest cost structure outfitting there probably is, right? The horses, the logistics, all the crew, all that stuff. It's not, it's not opening the gate, driving out on a place and, and shooting something, right? Yeah. So, your your operating expenses are very high, and that's what that's what the business is. This is a logistics business, um, so that that is true. I think kind of the other part of your your um, your question is it's it's probably not so much related to people who go uh, who go outfitted or or drop camps or whatever. It's just related to hunters in general uh, coming out west, and I think that you know people there is a lot of expectations that are that are way high i'm sure you see this with friends that come out west or, oh, yeah. or whatever and they don't they may be they may have been exposed to some other type of hunting and everything's going to be relative to folks um but what i found is that people always like to think about like averages right they think well you know they all average success say what's you know this stuff and the problem is in this western hunting it doesn't matter like i can tell you that it's you know that it's we have 70 percent 70 80 percent success on our third season deer hunts right like i can say that but it's meaningless because i have years where i've got a hundred percent success with tons of opportunity and then i have years that are 20 percent success yeah and i think that's that's the reality of of western hunting is that you have to you have to deal with that the averages don't really matter what matters is there's a lot of variability and you got to keep at it in order to kind of have success over time and that's the problem for for people with their expectations you know this this is that part of my business and all this Western public land hunting, um, 
you know, for better or worse, you can't pay for it. You're not, you can't pay for dead animals. And yeah. That's, <laughs> that's just part of the deal. You know, I mean, I think that's probably what makes it special to a lot of people, including myself, but uh, that's something that you got to really acknowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, and I try to explain to people too, is like, you got to look at Western hunting, whether it's elk or mule deer, especially public land as like a not just like a a year to year thing. Like it's gotta be like a bigger picture. Like look at a five year average, like, like the stock market, for example, year to year will, will fluctuate. But if you invest steadily over a five or 10 year period, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna hit success. Right. And in certain aspects. So like one year or even two years elk hunting is not, it's, it's tough to get it done. I mean, I'd say it's, you know, it, it's very low, especially archery elk on public land. So like if you look at it over a five-year period, yeah, you might kill one bull or whatever. And I try to just tell people you, you got to spend the time you got to, you got to put in the years, whether it's with an outfit, whether it's DIY, what it's, whether it's whatever, uh, the more you do it, the more years you spend, you're going to have some sort of success, um, that way, I guess. I don't know. That's what yeah. I try to explain. Yeah, no, that, that's. Yeah, no, that's that's the. I mean, that's the reality. I think it's hard. Like, yeah, I mean, the the stock market analogy is probably perfect, Adam. To be honest, man, like everybody knows it, right? And they can agree <laughs> to it. But then, whenever it's occurring, it's hard for them to stick to the plan. Yeah. you know what I mean. So, like, if a guy like in archery hunting is the epitome of this. I mean, if a guy's like, well, I've been out. You know, I came out two years. And all I got, I got like a marginal shot opportunity at a cow and they expect you to be like, wow, like, you know, where have you been hunting? That seems like a bad area or whatever. And it's like, what, what my response is like, yeah, that's, you're doing about normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're hunting, if you're hunting seven, seven days a year and you're just in your, and you're figuring it out and you're, you're going up to the, you know, the, uh, the the um the learning scale while you're trying this like that's just how it is man like some guys come out and whack one the first time they go but it's not i mean it's not a reality you know what i mean yeah and i think the other thing i mean i'm sure you see it too is not every you know not not all the hunters are the same by any means in terms of skill set comfort in the mountains blah 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 all that stuff that we we talk about and worry about but the other thing is guys have have limited time like if you're coming out to colorado and you're archery hunting four days uh a year you can't compare yourself to a local or or maybe maybe not necessarily local but somebody that comes here and spends 25 straight days yeah yeah like (laughs) that's like you know like (laughs) you're it's like a totally and that's what people do man i think they get on these forums they 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 watch people on social media and stuff and they don't realize like some of these guys i mean they're hunting 20 20 to 28 days in archery season oh yeah you know and yeah. you know and they and, and though one thing they get they get where they're just their their skill set you know arises quickly um but the other thing is just time and the the luck associated with the time you know so yeah yeah so yeah i know i think those are all important things for sure. I mean, I had a guy out this fall. He spent the entire archery season in this one area um, where I have hunters in. He came out opening weekend. He didn't kill till the very last week, like three days to go. 
Like, so, I mean, he was literally hunting the entire month before he killed one with his bow. And, and like you said, I, I don't think people realize. So if you look that, look at that in a percentage wise of time, uh, you know, that person basically hunted four years. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if somebody's averaging a week per yeah. year, they, yeah. they hunted four years during that month. Um, so yeah. I, that's the way you got to yeah. look at well, it. Well, and yeah, no, I think that's the perfect way to look at it. And I actually think that you have to, you have to view it as that guy because he was hunting the same area. He was hunting like mostly consecutive days, actually like his threshold for learning the area, learning the animals in the area. It's probably more equivalent to some guy coming for 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the guy's there and he's in the same area. It's like any skill or any, anything you're trying to learn. If you do it consistently, you, you learn it quicker. Right. So it's just like, you know, but if you, if you hunt four days, five days and then go home for, 259 <laughs> days or 359 days and come back you don't retain anything you don't even remember where you were you know what <laughs> i mean um so it's yeah I, I i would extend what you're saying to the to the extent that it's like you're really talking the equivalency of a guy hunting for like 10 years in yeah, that spot 100 you know? i agree uh, yeah so no that's a that's a good way to think about it and i, and I, and I don't think like pe- people should be you know, like should view that in a negative light. I think the, it's just a way to be honest with yourself and not get so down on yourself. I mean, I run in, I run into the guys that have hunted for seven days and they come out and they're like, I, you know, you know, guys with backpacks or whatever. And they're working hard. Like we all acknowledge that. And then like, we didn't see an elk. And it's like, well, yeah, man, you've only been here for seven days. The first time <laughs> you were here, you know what I mean? What do you expect? Um, and it's like, well, what they expected was more, but that, that's an improper expectation, you know? Yeah, it really is. And I think, I think that can be tough for people to wrap their heads around, especially somebody coming from out East. They spent all this time, they spent all this money, they bought the tags, they bought the gear, they prepared, um, they train and to come up empty handed one or two years or even three or four years is, is a tough pill to swallow, but that unfortunately is reality of public land elk hunting. It just is. So. Yeah, um, no, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, I, I do think like the one, one like huge positive factor of it. And this is, I think again, like with all the social media and stuff, it's hard for people to acknowledge this or maybe they don't get as much like, like ego boost from it. But if you do hunt these areas, this over-the-counter stuff and wilderness, and you hunt it for, you know, five, six, seven years, for, you know, not necessarily only rifle or not only archery, but if you if you hunt rifle or whatever, and you hunt these these animals that are heavily pressured, you come out the other end an astronomically better hunter. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm not like I'm not trying to knock anybody, but any, but but guys that you know they go hunt a state where you know, they draw once every four years and they go kill a 350 inch bull, you know, every couple of years or whatever. And it looks like, you know, people have this perception that, oh, that guy's like an assassin, like an elk assassin. <laughs> I know, I know guys, I know guys that have been with her, have guided for me or whatever, who, um, when I, you know, you get a feel for guys level of, you know, just intuition about elk. And I know guys that all they've ever killed is a bunch of raghorns, um, but they've done it for years, and they are astronomically better hunters than 
than the than the previous guys I was talking about. And that's generalization, but I think it's something that people can put their time in here and realize like all this stuff transfers to other hunting and it makes you better better in the mountains, better in hunting, all that, you know. 100%, 100% agree. I love all that. Um kind of along with those lines, what what did your 2019 season look like for me? Um you know, having groups down here and, and doing some hunting myself with friends and family, like especially for archery elk this year, it was just a very bluebird like month. Like for example, like it was just sunny skies all day and, you know, got cool at night, but there was really no variation in weather. There was no, uh, like snowfall precipitation, nothing to like mix things up a little bit. So it was very like, like for the rut for me what i experienced was just very stagnant very sporadic and and that's hell cunning again but i feel like this year was a little bit different in that regard because we just didn't get a lot of mix where i was at did you did you kind of see the same thing yeah i mean conditions were what they were so you kind of it was more i would call it a grind <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean it's just the same deal every day and it wasn't like a bunch of hope for change at any any moment um you know, and it, it's always anecdotal, you know, year to year, Adam, but our, our elk were actually fairly vocal throughout the, the month, more so than previous years. Nice. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you exactly why, why that was. There's always so many, so many different, different variables. Um, I, I will find on the negative side of things, our elk were more dispersed, like across, across elevation grade and, and everything else. So I think that, was for sure in a massive in a huge area it was a matter of being the right spot at the right time right so if you had elk there um it was good they seemed to be relatively responsive you know like i said a fair amount of vocalization and not necessarily only in the last week or so kind of just you know across the month um but if they weren't there they could be you know you wouldn't you might not find another group of them for a couple miles or you know a couple thousand feet in elevation change so so that's what made it tough for us during during archery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Obviously, you've been doing this for for a long time, and and you you've you've seen many seasons come and go. Are you able to like Have you been able to put together any sort of pattern? Like, if this happens, like you know, if it's a wet year, a uh, wet summer, this this is what's going to happen, or if it's a dry summer, this is what's going to happen, or if it's uh, have you put any sort of like correlation together over the years or is it just still in your mind? Like it's a crapshoot. Yes. I think there's an element of just luck, you know, where the elk move off to stuff like that. There, there's always an element of that, but I don't think it's a total crapshoot. I do like in terms of based on, you know, conditions, uh, what I always related to is to me, elk are kind of like, so I, I grew up in a, in a, uh, cattle ranching family. So an elk are not that different than cattle really. And, and one thing that's, uh, you know, that's analogous between the two and that's that whatever your summer, um, moisture situation is, and this is very, you know, dependent, this is also going to be dependent on where you're at, but up here in the mountains or whatever, whatever your summer moisture situation is going to be, is gonna is gonna change the density of, or the you know uh, how dispersed the elk are right so um and that that i feel like is is i mean like i you know one of the few certainties amongst elk and that's that if you have a dry summer like if we have a real dry summer 
our, our alpine grasses don't grow very well and you won't find near as many elk up high right yeah they tend they tend to have they tend to have to hug that aspen conifer transition stuff even early on you know um when we have a wet summer like we did this year um what you find is there's kind of there's good feed everywhere for elk right there's grasses everywhere up high down low in the aspens blah blah kind of everywhere so that makes that disperses the elk um, throughout the summer and then early fall. And then depending on, you know, that, like going into the fall, that's a pretty, I, mean, I think you get a good feel for that. I mean, if it's been wet and there's feed everywhere, elk are going to be dispersed. If it's not, they're going to be concentrated where there's good grass. That, that tends to be the case. Um, but, uh, what I find is that once you have that, like th- for us, so our archer season was decent. We had we had the vocalizations going on and all that. So it was it was fine. But the uh my uh rifle seasons were the worst I've seen in probably seven or eight years or so. Oh, wow. And I think it was be re- related to this and that was because we had fairly wet uh summer and then we had no moisture, no snow. We had a little like dusting of snow but irrelevant to elk stuff. Yeah. Um into throughout the rifle season so you started with this first elk and then you just ended with this first elk right and that makes for for tough hunting it's a lot of country for for a certain density elk to be spread across right so that was the case and i and i actually you know i talked to a lot of folks and they seem at least in this part of the state i'd be interested to hear what, what you guys said but i you know i talked to a lot of fellow outfitters and public land guys and stuff like that and they said rifle was pretty pretty darn slow and then the guys I depend on the most for info are the meat processors because they, you know, they're they're not going to bullshit you about stuff. And the guys that said it was the slowest they'd seen in four or five years. So, really? So I don't know how how was it for you for you guys? Yeah, yes, uh, similar. Um, first and second rifle were pretty pretty dang slow. Just like I said, it was just uh, not a lot of variability there. Still dispersed. Uh, third season was was. Uh, a little better we got some snow and and uh that that certainly helped but even now like it's still um like i have a i have a private land late season cow tag and you know there's been some snow in the in the country and i was thinking hey the elk are, it's been a couple of weeks since fourth season i just went out last weekend to, to try to give a go at it and i was thinking maybe those elk would be pushed down by now and and maybe be on the property and they just they just weren't so uh, it, it's right. been one of those years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's just, you know, the, those are, you know, I think, let me back to your original question, like thinking about how oyster affects feed for sure makes a difference. And then, you know, and then of course, obviously your fall conditions, if there's no snow to concentrate them, then it is what it is. I think, and this is, I mean, just me thinking about it because all this stuff, you know, there's so many variables, you know, but, yeah. um, <laughs> The other thing that I found too is we had the combination of that stuff, and the other thing we had is uh, wasn't just a lack of snow. We actually had warm temperatures. Like mm-hmm. we had like, you know, like we had third season temperatures like up at ten two, ten three, where one of my guided camps are. They're like, I mean, they kind of barely dip below freezing. You know, there's twenty twenty degree nights, stuff like that. And when you have that. Um, the elk and deer they just don't need to eat so you got it kind of like the double whammy right like they're all spread out plus they're not cold so their metabolic needs are pretty limited 
and ah. uh, so they're not spending as much time up and about. So that makes total sense. I think that that adds. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely, definitely does. Um, one thing, one thing I want to talk to you on is is just overall hunting pressure because obviously as as hunting continues to grow, there's more people interested in elk hunting and more people doing uh, backpack hunts, whatever type of hunting. Um, like hunting pressure is just becoming more and more of a one of those variables, right? Like I'm I'm sure you've seen it. Have you seen like a big increase over the years of other people uh in the wilderness like what did it look like 15 years ago versus now like do you run into more people now do you not, is that not much of a factor because of your style of hunting um talk to us a little bit about hunting pressure yeah so i think i mean there i'll kind of bounce around the question a little bit the uh the overall amount of guys hunting the wilderness, particularly in rifle season, like hunting the far back country, I don't, I don't think it's changed that much, Adam. To be honest, okay. Rifle on the rifle side, yeah. on the rifle side, I, I really don't think it's changed as much. I think, I think you've had a little bit of a transfer of uh, you know families that were horse based and had their own horses and stuff. Some of that has gone away, and more of it has been. There's more guys that that are doing the backpack thing, et cetera. But I don't think that the rifle pressure in the backcountry has uh, increased that much. I mean, I think per like per capita of elk, it's much higher. There's just less less elk in a lot of these backcountry areas. But I don't think the pressure's changed that much. In archery, it has for sure. I'd say there's a whole hell of a lot more pressure now. Um, and I think that has to do with the fact that there's it's more livable for backpack guys. You know, I mean, the reality is, I mean, guys can tell me whatever, but once, once rifle season hits for us, the backpack guys just don't last. Yeah. Up where our camp too hard living, you know, but in archery, they do just fine. So what happens is you, you do, you for sure have more pressure around during archery season. I think that's across the state. And I think, I think they, the state even has numbers that kind of, kind of coincide with that, that archery's growing quite a bit. So you see that, um, you know what I find the biggest variable on a hunting pressure is, I mean, I guess it's pretty obvious, but it's just the economy, right? So ah, yeah. when, when the economy is pretty good and people have more extra, you know, extra income to go hunting, out west and then you see an uptick in people like a general trend uh, uptick and i would say like the last three or four years we've had that um and that makes sense right i mean regardless if you're regardless if you're going guided or not uh it you know it takes a lot of money to come out here and go hunting for people so um and even locals they hunt more when the economy is good for sure because they can take time off and, and stuff like that so um so i think that's the biggest variable and then I mean, I don't like our stuff probably has one tenth of like the, the accessible area stuff. So I don't think it affects us much either way. Um, but, uh, there seems to be like a little cycle to it too. Like if one area has a bunch of, you know, a few people camp into, or, uh, you know, um, backpack in there, there'll be, it'll be kind of more pressure in there that year. And then the next year there'll be nobody in there because everybody thought there was pressure, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard to, it, it, it's hard to gauge, but you see like a little, little cycle to that, right? Like, 
oh, there, you know, there's other people in there, so let's change. And then everybody else does that, so then that spot really doesn't even get hunted. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so um, my, my, my general thought on it really is I don't think when you account for everything, I think it almost has zero impact on success. I know, I know in my camps and stuff um, that it essentially has no impact. If there happens to be somebody that backpacks in a mile from one of my drop camps, it, it really statistically, I don't affect, I don't think it affects my guy's success at all. Um, Cause there's some pros and there's some cons, right? Um, I, I, it obviously people's perception it does, right? Yeah. Uh, they, they want to be, they want to be alone. They think, I mean, people's natural reaction to if they don't, if something gets gets messed up or whatever, they're going to try to blame it on some external factor. And so, uh, you know, some some backpackers that packed in or, are, are, you know, they can they can be that that out. You know what I mean? So yeah. you see that. I'm sure you see that. Like oh, yeah. everybody sees that in the hunting night. Like like how many people say like, oh, like those guys over there on that ridge, man, they they seem to be doing a really good job of hunting over there. It's always like, it's always like some made up thing. Like, you you know what I'm getting at? Like, all those guys are doing this or that. It's like, no, they're probably hunting just like you. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're they're having the same troubles you are. That's uh, no different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they're probably making some of them the same mistakes and you, you know, you are too. And it's whatever, you know what I mean? But we like to blame it on other, other folks. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny, but, um, but yeah, no. So that that's my thought on it. Is it's uh, there's no doubt. Like the more the better the economy is, there seems to be a little more pressure. And that and that could be, uh, I might have a little bit um, uh, a little bit more exposure to that because um, it's a little more it's a bigger endeavor, right? Even the backpack guys that go into the wilderness, or the or the guys that take their own llamas or horses in or whatever, like that's it's expensive. Like even to get all geared up to backpack into a wilderness area is, you know, I mean, most guys are going to spend 1500 bucks, 2000 bucks just on gear. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for so. sure. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And, and, uh, you know, a little story on my part, like my, the year I killed that bull or my, my first year, um, where I killed that bull, uh, I was going to an area and I, I come up to the parking spot and, um, as I pulled up, another guy pulled up as well. And, I had plans to hunt this, this other area or this other meadow and, and kind of the surrounding parts of that. But I asked him where he was going to hunt first and, and, uh, he said he was going to hunt that spot. So I was like, okay, you know, I was like, ah, damn it. I really wanted to go there. Cause I feel like it'll be a good spot. <laughs> um, but instead, you know, that, that hunting pressure, I guess, or him going to that spot changed where I was going to go. So I, I went to a different spot and ultimately killed that bull there's not much that kind of relates to that, but like what I say is whatever happens happens. And if there is something that comes up, like you just have to play off it and you never know what the hell is going to happen. I mean, I just, just roll with the punches. Elk hunting's all about overcoming obstacles and just staying in the game. Uh, and that's, that's all you can do really. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 I think, I think, I mean, this is, this is going to sound like woo 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 kind of deal, but I think the other thing is like staying positive about it, right? Like, so you could have ran into the guy in the parking lot. He's going to go to your spot. You could have been like, well, you know, my day's ruined. 
this guy is a, this guy, you know, is taking my spot. Like, and, yeah. and then you could have just like walked around the woods, trouncing around with your, your eyes down at the ground, feeling pity for yourself. And, and it sounds ridiculous, but people do that. Oh yeah. I'm sure you see it. A lot. They'd be better off going home. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean they'd, be, they'd be better off just going home because the guy ruined their day or whatever. Um, but if a guy's like, Oh, all right, cool. Like, um, I'm going to go, I got a, I got a plan B or whatever, and I'm going to make the best out of the day. Like, I mean, really statistically, the difference between that spot and the spot you originally want to go to, like the other spot might've been like 2% better. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you, what really matters is the fact you're still out there, like, like making the best use of your time, you know? And so, uh, exactly. I think, I think that's a good way to, good way to look at it, you know? Well, I think, and then like, oh, well, go ahead. go ahead, man. No, you go ahead. Man. Well, I was just saying like some people, I think a lot of people get caught up in like this, like notion that elk should be here or they envision elk like screaming in the Aspens, you know, like that this spot, like you kind of develop a, uh, what do I want to say? Like a, like a, a relationship with maybe a certain area, especially if you've hunted there before. And like you, you dream that or you expect the elk should be in the spot when I think a lot of people just maybe should, should concentrate on just grinding it out and, and finding out play, playing off the day, but not getting caught up in, in too much of the other stuff. I guess I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but like, I think a lot of people get attached to certain areas and expectations and things like that when it's, yeah. there's a lot of variables, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's for sure. I, I mean, I think what you're talking about totally exists. I and mean, there's for sure people that would pull up to a trailhead if, if you know, they, and they, they know the area real well and there's a certain spot where they tend to have success and they got to chatting to somebody chatting with somebody and they got, and they find out the guy's going in there and they would literally just get back in their vehicle and go home. Like there's <laughs> yeah. people that do, would do that for sure. Like, and they're just like, well, that's my spot. And you know, it's all messed up, you know, usually entails like, Oh, some non-resident screwed my spot up or whatever, you know, <laughs> something like that. The people love to say that kind of shit too, but it was just, just, it's all funny. But, um, but yeah. And then, and so there are people that get caught up in that, but yeah, I mean, what's the harm in go learn in a new spot? You know what I mean? You, you find your original location by trial and error anyway. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. And, you know, I, I think we, well, we talked about it before a little bit too, but the reality is, is when there is pressure around, um, like I was telling you, I score for both Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett. So I see a lot of bigger bulls that get killed in this part of Colorado and if they come off of, you know, highly pressured areas, over-the-counter stuff, generally a guy got into a good spot, like in the, you know, where a couple trails come across or there's a little open spot outside of some timber where elk have to move across when they're moving or whatever, and he just kind of got lucky. I mean, part of it was he knew, he knew how elk move around that area, but he's just sitting there and he's looking at a trail and there's other hunters around and just a big bull comes running across the meadow at him or something. I'd say like 80% of those real big bulls, like those 350 plus inch bulls that come off over the counter stuff, they're killed like that. No um, kidding. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's, that it's, I mean, it's, it's way statistically significant that, that a lot of in rifle season in particular, there's a lot more bull, big bulls, 
killed like that in over-the-counter units than there are. I'll tell you what's rare is that if I if if there's a bull that got killed in an over-the-counter unit with like a 365-inch bull or something, you know, which is a behemoth for yeah. for Colorado. If you get a bull like that, what's rare is for the guy to say like, "Hey, you know, I found this bull in the summer. Um, I kept scouting for him. I for him, you know, a solid week before this season, I was watching him." you know, blah, 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 got in there the first day and killed him. That's really rare uh, <laughs> in Colorado in heavily pressured over-the-counter stuff. It's really rare. I mean, I can't even think of one that a bull, a bull elk has been killed like that. Like mule deer and stuff, sure. Like guys can watch them. They know where they're moving, blah, blah, blah. But big, big bulls, it's almost always an element of luck. A guy in the area pretty, pretty good. He knows how to situate, it, situate himself where his probability is high. That to be the case on all those big bulls um and yeah. that's that's different than most people's perception i think in part of that is because other places where elk are not truly pressured you know arizona some of the units in new mexico like you know some of the trophy units in colorado stuff like that yeah you can that stuff like you could you could probably scout elk you know pick one out do all that and kill a big bull that's you know that's i think a lot of that is how we perceive a lot of this, the stuff that we've seen off of the media in terms of these hunts, but big bulls at over the counter units, super rare. I mean, I can't, I can't think of one that is killed that way. (laughs) They're all, they're all killed by a guy that's just in the right spot. And I'm not saying it's total luck. It's not total luck, but it's, it's part of a guy just being in the right spot. And you know, a a five by five or a raghorn could have came out. The guy would have blasted it. But instead, just some big behemoth bull came out and <laughs> shot it instead. Exactly, exactly. Yep, that's just that's just how it goes. I uh, I saw a photo, a recent photo from I think this past this past season. You had a couple archery hunters um, in camp. They they've been longtime returning clients. They've they've hunted with you for a number of years, and uh, I think you mentioned something along the lines in the photo, like. There haven't been a lot of years where I don't remember them coming out, you know, heavy or like them not getting an elk. Um, do you do you have any inclination? Like, why is it those two? Why are those two guys maybe more successful than than maybe other hunters? Like, obviously they've been doing it longer, but do you think they're doing things maybe a little bit differently than maybe maybe somebody who's who's a beginner? Like, what makes them so successful? Yeah, so uh, those guys have—they've come every year. I, I can't remember the last time they haven't—they haven't hunted with us. Um, it, that was actually—it was actually a rifle hunt. Those guys hunt rifle. Oh, okay. But Got those it. guys all, always have high success. I mean, if somebody wanted like an average success rate of those guys, it's high. Like it's between deer and elk. I mean, I bet it's in the seventy, eighty, ninety percent wow. type of deal. You know what I mean? And I have—I have guys like that. I, I've I, I have, you know, certain groups that for sure reach, uh, reach that, but they're real consistent about it. So it plays on a lot of the themes we're already talking about. Um, and one of those guys, Rick, would be a great guy for you to have on one of these days. Adam, he, he yeah, really enjoys all hunting. I, I think he's, he's, I, I can get you his contact info. Okay. But um, uh, the the thing, and so he could, he could give you his perception of it, um, but there's a massive – variance between hunters that's just a that's just a fact um I, you know i would i would i would say 
some hunters probably are about 5% as effective as, as other hunters. Right. And so that seems, it seems like there's, that seems pretty darn extreme and it's just the case. So I think part of that, um, is just basic stuff, man. Like there's nothing, I think part of it really is that some guys want to get something else out of the hunt and some guys are just like very, very intense about the hunting component of it. So that's going to always be a big factor. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I get guys that come out and they don't mind the fact that they're enjoying the camp and they're really probably only hunting 30, 40% of the time. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's the experience. But I have other guys, like these two guys that you're talking about, they hunt every day, they hunt all day, you know, that kind of stuff. So those are like the basic things are to maximize your opportunity rate, hunt every day. Um, and then kind of related to that is be in, like once you kind of know the area, is be in the primo spots before it gets light in the morning and don't, you shouldn't be back at camp. You shouldn't really be hiking back to camp until after dark, like every day. Right. Yeah. So if you do those two things and those are like pretty basic, has nothing to do with like some, you know, uh, machismo, we're a big hunter deal. It's just like reality, right? Like kind of time related, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not that big a deal, but those guys every day, they, they do that. I think they would tell you that is they, they hunt pretty hard in that regard. Um, and kind of tied into that in terms of like being in the spots during the prime times is they also know the area as well. Right. I mean, a lot of my hunting area, those two guys probably know better than I do, you know, because they've spent a lot of time in it. Um, so that part of the deal. And then I'd say, man, if I had like some, just like rule some things, I, their success rate, they understand you know, elk behavior, particularly they understand where elk bed and they, they know where not to, where not to kind of waste time slash booger up areas. Yeah. I think they're good at that and they stick to it. Um, I think the other thing just mechanically, I think they take advantage of opportunities, um, that arise. Right. So like if it's rifle guys, you know, and, um, they end up too close to elk and there's bulls running, the minute those bulls stop, their guns go off, yeah. right? And so, like, it's that type of guy. If it's archery guys, they don't miss. They don't, you know, they do their setups right, stuff like that. It sounds kind of petty, but it matters in these type of hunts. Like, it's it's a huge difference because you might only have one or two of those in seven days or five days or whatever. Yeah. So if you don't take advantage of them, then you're going to be, it's different. You know I mean? You can't, your, the end result's going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the things, the other things that I think are probably just harder to duplicate and take time. And this is a, to, to me, I think there's a bunch of stuff that we don't perceive, um, that, that we, we learn as humans. Like once we're, we're out there and it's a repetitive thing, like we're hunting for elk, you know, we do, you do it enough times, you kind of, there's things that get ingrained in your brain that you probably don't even realize, right? Like, I, I, I notice it kind of when I'm glassing with people or I'm guiding, like, for instance, let's say I'm guiding a guy and we're sitting down and, I'll, you know, we're, you know, we're both glassing and the guy's got good optics and stuff and I'll find some elk and then we'll go to another spot, I'll find some elk. Sometimes guys will say to me, like, man, your, your eyes must be good or, man, you're, you're so good at finding elk and it's 
has nothing to do with that. I'm not good at finding elk or my eyes aren't better or anything like that. One, I've been to the spot, so I kind of know the areas to spend my time on looking. Yeah. I think also, like, you develop a you develop an intuition of, like, where to spend your time glassing. Like, your brain just takes you to those spots. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And you kind of know what you kind of know what an elk what elk look like when they go through the timber, right? Like, and so your brain like picks up on that little flash of a, you know, of a, of a cow's back or something like that. So all that stuff, I don't know that you can duplicate, man. Like it just, you just, you have to like spend some time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure you know the little things you've been with friends that are, haven't been, and they may be hundred, they may do a lot of other hunting, but they don't hunt elk. So, you know, or they don't hunt you deer, or whatever you have to be hunting. So, you know, and, and I, and I've, as I've hunted different species, I've had the same thing happen. Like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see an odd to save my life for like a week straight. You know what I mean? And then yeah. whatever your brain just gets in tune with it. So I don't think we can discount that. It may, there's no doubt it makes a big difference. Um, I think knowing the area, knowing how to get around that sort of thing. I, and the other thing is I think like just, for this alpine stuff or like, you know, alpine slash subalpine type of hunting. Um, just being comfortable in the mountains is a big deal, man. Like a lot of guys who aren't comfortable in the ma- comfortable in the mountains, they don't like to travel in the dark. They get tired. You know like that element of it, I'm sure you've seen that with yeah. buddies too. Yeah. Like the two guys you're talking about are, are mountain guys. I mean they could like if they had to spend a night up there third season away from the camp, like they'd be fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And that's, that's, I think those are all things. Yeah. That's, that's rare. Um, you know, for myself coming from, I, I had a big learning curve with that or just, just becoming more comfortable with, with the mountains, like coming from Michigan, a, a 300 acre flatland farmland, you know, rolling Hills was, was a big chunk of land for me. Uh, you come out to the, the mountains and you're dealing with, no service. It's tough terrain. It's, uh, you know, there's animals out here that could potentially mess, mess you up a little bit. Uh, you know, all that stuff weighs on you. And if you're not used to that environment, you do find yourself going back to the truck, you know, well before, uh, it gets dark and, and, you know, during doing certain things you probably shouldn't be doing, or, you know, not putting in the, the right amount of time because you just, strictly not comfortable with it so yeah i see that all the time and and i I experienced it myself oh yeah oh yeah 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 it's and and, you know at times i even i i mean it's all relative right like you get in certain comfort zones on certain types of hunts and in you you in areas and stuff like that and i think anybody i mean i notice this all the time when i go into a new area like when we were on my wife's desert sheep hunt like I very quickly realized like, oh yeah, like I do need to have like some repetitive like ways to navigate here because I don't know the country and it's rim rock, right? So like yeah. getting up, you you got to use the same spots you went up as you do down and you're in the dark. So like, it, you know, in the flat tops and stuff, I don't worry about because I know the country so well, but over there, like I quickly realized like, yep, no, I got to make sure I got duplicate, you know, you know, I got my Onyx plus I got a GPS or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? So, and those are all things that, um, it, but the, but like getting to the point we're talking about is like the first time it happened, like it kind of takes your breath away a little bit. Cause you're like, Ooh, like I'm on the border, you know, I'm on the border of like an unsafe situation. <laughs> it can kind of, 
it can get you real conservative real quick. Yeah. And I, and I see it amongst hunters a lot. Um, and so that's like my biggest recommendation to people who are coming out here is like, guys are like, okay, I want to come out in the elk hunt in Colorado, right? It's like, well, have you ever spent any time in mountains, like real mountains, right? Because it's fine if you haven't, but realize that you're, you're like, you're going on a journey that involves learning like a lot of different things at once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. not like, you know what I mean? And so, um, and I think if guys take that into account, I think like, yeah, you know, you want to make sure you got the right gear and you're all safe in that regard, but you're also like in your mind, like ready to take care of stuff. You know, like, yeah, if you get lost at like you get lost in the mountains, it's scary. But if you know, you can start a fire, you know, you can get through the night most likely you're not going to stay lost because you're not going to have that like panic thing going. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then you'll just figure it out and whatever. So, um, to me, that's a huge one, man. I, I mean, I think it's hard for guys. will never, I mean, guys will never focus on that as much as they should because it's, I, I think it's just because of media stuff. You know what I mean? Adam, like yeah. they don't show much of that in on hunting shows or, or whatever, or, if guys are learning about elk calling or well, I mean, I mean, watching 200 YouTube videos about elk calling before you come out to Colorado for an archery hunt is way less valuable than watching, you know, learn, just trying to learn a bunch about mountain survival. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, totally agree. If you come and you're comfortable in the mountains, you're way more likely to kill one, even if all you do is know how to push on a hoochie mom cow call. <laughs> you know what I mean? so i mean it's it's my take on it at least i love it i think that's a really good take and i think it's an overlooked thing um to a lot of people especially the the beginners um i think it's just not many people focus on it and i think that's a big part of it and i just think back over my first couple of seasons i i was not comfortable you know it's just not it's just hard to do if you're just not used to growing up in that environment or and it just takes time it's going to take time that's all it yeah, is. Yeah, no, I think it's and yeah, and I, and I think it's everybody too. I mean, there's people that live here in Eagle that I guarantee you, if they went up, you know, they don't hunt that way, right? They just hunt from the roads or whatever. Yeah. And some of them are super effective, but once you start doing all that backcountry stuff, I mean, you really, um, anybody that comes out here and does, man, I don't care if they're a Navy SEAL or whatever. If they don't have a little butterflies in their stomach at some point during their hunt, they're 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 not they're at like 20% of the effectiveness they should be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's my thought on it. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, speaking of Colorado for, for next year for 2020 Colorado parks and wildlife just, just released their new five year plan, um, for season day. It's like, what do you think of the kind of the new structure of, archery season it's starting september 2nd going to the end of the month and then it looks like they've played a little bit with the rifle seasons pushing them back and then maybe i think they shortened some of them as well like what's what's your whole take on thing how's it is it going to affect you um what are your overall thoughts Uh, i think for i think for archers it's pretty positive right just consistently now the second through the end of the month um I think that's nice for archers because they don't have to feel like they're missing out on that last week. Some of the seasons, yeah. you know, we had some seasons that it was it was over uh, September twenty third or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think that's nice for the archers. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad they did that. 
Um, you know, the rifle season, I'm still trying to kind of get my arms around it logistically a little bit. So what they did was they, um, they shortened a couple of the seasons by I think like one day. Um, so not, not big changes on that, but they put weak, weak gaps in between. Um, and what I was told in, in the notes on the, on a lot of these, you know, when they're talking about it, one of their thoughts was that the weak, the gap, the weak gaps between the rifle season would keep the elk um, from refuging on private a little bit, a little bit more, so they'd end up maybe coming back on the public, maybe not totally constantly being stuck on the private or whatever. Um, I, I don't know the buy into that. I, I for me, I feel like even with weak gaps, there's going to be so much activity with guys going leaving can't you know leaving yeah after first and coming in the second I, I don't know that it makes a big difference you know if if any but i i could be wrong on that um the couple less days uh yeah i mean for second and third season that's that kind of stinks for people who are used to hunting those those seasons um but i don't know that it's a bad thing our elk to have a couple less days of rifle pressure might be a good thing at this yeah. point yeah um I think probably the biggest issue in my mind, um, like I said, I think a lot of that stuff's positive, like positive. Those gaps will be nice and, and whatever else. Um, but I think probably the big negative is on the deer. I mean, the so what I was told is, that, so all the weeks are bumping back a week because yep. of the gaps. Um, so like your third and fourth season are going to be bumped back a week in, you know, and those coincide with deer, deer seasons. And what I've been told is there's not going to be any quota changes related to that. So to me, that's a pretty draft. I mean, to me, it's a massive mistake, honestly, by the wildlife managers, because basically, you know, like the way the quotas are third rifle season is usually like four or five X, the amount of tags that are during fourth, you know, because fourth is kind of viewed as a rut hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So basically really what this, has done is that you know next year we're going to have four times the rut tags that we did in previous years right ah yeah and so um i would i would guess that i mean you never know right like years can be different based on a lot of factors but i would guess in in pretty short order you're going to see a devastation a devastating effect on older age class deer that's when all the big deer get killed i mean yeah like some random big massive bucks get killed during second season or something but really not you know most of them get killed later once they start thinking about does and they're moving so uh you know when you quadruple the tags or 4x the tags or whatever uh you're gonna have you're gonna have a massive impact yeah yeah no i that makes sense because it 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 appears to be like third season what it was this year is now for 2020 going to be fourth season next like around that same time frame and then fourth season will be even later you know which is even further into the rut like you said and and i had no idea that they weren't changing any quotas or you know tag allotments yeah um, along with that that seems pretty crazy yeah yeah that's my i mean i don't have any problem with like hunting them later you know it, it is what it is but um and that's fine. I mean, hunting deer in late season is fun, you know, but for there not to be an adjustment, like a, like a preemptive adjustment to quotas to me is insane. I mean, to think that you're going to bump all those tags a week back and you're not going to have a way higher success rate 
uh, particularly on big deer. Uh, I mean, you're for sure going to have, I mean, you know, I mean, we, a lot, sometimes in four season, I mean, this year we didn't have any snow, but sometimes in four season, like the deer, the deer are acting ridiculous. You know what I mean? They'll walk up to horses, you know what I mean? Cause they're, they're thinking about other things, you know? So, so to put instead of like in one of my units, there's 60 buck tags, right? Fourth season, but there's 280 buck tags during third season. Oh wow! So to put 280, you know, to put 280 into the realm of the rut is like nuts, Ooh. you know? Yeah. So, um, so it's too bad. I think they probably should have had some foresight on that, but, but we'll see. I think, I, I mean, I think, you know, part of part of the part of the deal is that I I think they actually probably are trying to reduce some of the 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 age class and deer for some of the uh, CWD speculation and stuff like that. So, ah, but it, there yeah. might be some strategy behind it. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if that's uh, there's an ulterior motive there or something along those lines, like you said. Um, yeah, I didn't even think of that, but yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I, to look I, at. Well, I, and I don't think it. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think they're they're not covert about it or anything. I think if you had a uh, uh, CPW guy on here, they would probably say that that's part of that decision process, um, because I know they've been working on that. So, so I, I just don't have the knowledge to really it, it to really un- explain or understand that part of it. I just know that there's going to be less big deer in three or four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be interesting to see, and and with that, like how. How have you seen uh, both deer and elk, like, over the last, you know, let's say since you started guiding or even hunting as, like, a, you know, a teenage boy, like, have you seen a wave of difference? Like, have you seen it, like, kind of the peaks in the valleys? Has it, like, generally the hunting gotten better over time? Has it declined in recent years? Like, what's your overall feel of, of hunting in Colorado for deer and elk? So I can just kind of relate to the the time you know over the over the time that I've hunted here, and deer have gone so like deer. Let's just take uh, eagle the the um, units around eagle you know eagle county, Garfield county, Pitkin county. When I was a kid, the deer hunting wasn't as good as it is now, particularly on the call. Um, right, and then so and it was I would say that it was they were shot up pretty bad for many years in there there was deer i mean there was say that like some areas have been affected population wise for you know like uh independent reasons like there's been a lot of development in in eagle so 44 a lot of that that deer herd's just smaller right yeah but the quality is way better than it was when i was a little kid um and then other areas you know on the other side of the highway and stuff um you know 25 26 35 all that I would say it's it's better right now than it was um, back in late '80s, early '90s, um, and then to me it seems to have probably peaked like two or three years ago. It seemed like it was pretty pretty darn good. Maybe it's slightly on the decline, flat or whatever, something like that. So I think the deer, um, you know, it's pretty good right now. And overall, like I don't want to be like negative on any of this stuff, Adam. I yeah, think yeah, in yeah. terms of hunting. We're, I, I think in terms of hunting, we're, we're, we're all born at a pretty, pretty darn good time, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, the amount of hunts that you can apply for and draw right now, like a, a Colorado resident or even a non-resident, the amount of hunting they can do in a year for big game animals is, is 
pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it really is incredible. Um, so it's super positive on that end, but I, I would say that like the elk herd, like, I mean, it, it, there, it's way down across. I mean, from what I've seen across the state, I don't know down where you guys are at, but in this area in particular, um, you know, which is, which is kind of, you know, well, is home to the, what they say is the biggest elk herd in, in the nation, the white river herd. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it's 20% of what it was when I was a kid. if not, if not worse, Really. you know? So I, I think, I think that, I think that is, is a steady decline. Um, and so I don't know. Um, and like you can go on, data or whatever that's, that's published. But what I go on really is just talking to other outfitters, you know, guys who've hunted here for a long time on their own, stuff like that. Even, even local wardens, game processors, stuff like that. I, I can't think of one guy in the last three or four years that told me, man, you know, in the unit I hunt, the, the elk are just exploding. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, it might be, you know, it's it's probably locally here, and I know the San Juans are pretty much in an analogous situation, but um, that's what I would I would view the elk are are on a on a bottom for sure. Yeah. But, um, I don't know what what do you think? I, I I've actually the one place where I've heard kind of mixed on that is that down in that Montrose that area. I've heard I've heard some positivity. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've I've really heard it all sorts of different ways as well. Um, I know there was an article that was published last, I think it was last fall that, that basically stated in the San Juan, you know, Southwest Colorado, like elk are declining and, but yet biologists can't figure out why they said like in other parts of the, it was a, it was a interesting article. I have to post it, but like basically it said, in, in Southwest Colorado in particular, elk herds or elk numbers are declining where other areas of the state are relatively flat or remaining the same. Um, but they referenced like predation and, um, you know, ca- basically calf birth rates remained the same um, in Southwest Colorado as it did in other areas, but the survival rate was, was way lower Um so it's like, well, in my mind, that's like that's a predation problem. Maybe coyotes, bears, there's too many bears, um, whatever. But uh, yeah. I, I said I've I've heard it mixed in in a lot of ways um, in myself over the last like four years since I've I've been elk hunting in Colorado. I've I've felt like there's been a decline in numbers, but it's hard for me to tell because I just don't because I've seen the hunting pressure increase as well. So I don't know if it's necessarily numbers versus hunting pressure or just strictly numbers. Um, it's tough to tell for me at least. Yeah, you know, I, I think, I think it's that, that's why I try to not read into like one thing too much. You know what I mean? I, I, I can tell you like, I, I know like an Eagle and Garfield County up on the Colorado river drainage, stuff like that. I mean, I know where elk winter they wintered like a, like last year was a pretty big winter, right? So yeah. the elk were in wintering, wintering range and you can go and you can get a pretty good feel for how many elk there are. Yeah. You know what I mean? In that type of winter. And, uh, there's way, I mean, an Eagle, like an Eagle, you know, probably last winter when there was a ton of snow, I bet if you, if you got your spotting scope out and you kind of looked at the 
you know, looked at all the, the, the oak and... brush flats and all that. And, and, and did, you know, you'd, you'd probably see, you know, maybe you'd probably see 200 cows, maybe 180 cows or something. Right. Yeah. When I was a kid, if you did when I was a kid and you did that, you probably see 900, you know wow. what I mean? So I don't, you know, so to me that that's in the realm of not being anecdotal because that it's like, what other winter range are they going to? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no, I mean, they're not, it's not like all the elk moved over and they're laying in like the, uh, you know, the, the baseball fields in Edwards or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they, they're still, they still got a winner in these valleys. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at that level, it's hard for me to say like there's, well, it could be, yeah, they're just not, al- they're not alive anymore. They're dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, have you, have but you no, ever, it's hard, man. I know, I I know what you're getting at. On it, I think it's a little bit of everything, probably, man. I mean, I think bears probably play into it, and lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with, with so many factors involved, it's tough to tell. Definitely, I think development. You know, there's there's obviously something there with more roads, more houses, more habitat loss, um, more recreation in a lot of these areas uh, as well. Um, that that certainly doesn't help. Do you do you think that like do you, do you foresee maybe Colorado within the next five years, let's say for elk hunting, at least, do you see more draw um, and less over the counter opportunities and, and CP, CPW going to more of a, a draw um, unit structure for elk? Or do you think that's never going to be on the table? Yeah. I mean, so I can only give you my, my thought from like a, from being pretty naive. I've never worked internally. I've never, you know, I have some, friends that are you know working cpw or whatever but having no internal knowledge um i can only go off like my thoughts on how they operate and things i don't see a big difference so to me there seems to be you know first they're going to do this pressure to make archery tags i think the first thing you're going to see is all your over-the-counter archery is going to go to bull only you've seen that already in a couple of units yep That'll be the first, that's going to be the first step. And I think if you realistically think about it, the reason that's a first step is because it's not going to have a lot of monetary um, significance to CPW, right? Yeah. So, you know, guy, you know, it, it, but their hope is that it has some effect on, on cow harvest, right? So if you go to like the, the bigger line items, like, you know, over the counter bull tags, second and third season, in the San Juans or in the flat tops or whatever. I mean, if you look at how much money that generates from non-residents, I don't, I honestly don't know. I I don't know how they could stop it, Adam, without like, without immediately being bankrupt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think just mechanically, you you know, if you really look at how many tags are sold into these big globs of over the counter units, I don't even know. I mean, I might be talking out of line here, but I don't even know that that's a lever they can pull because I hear that a lot, right? Like, well, they need to go over the counter or whatever. It's like, I, I, I'm suspicious. I'm, I'm suspicious that that's not even something they discuss because they all know that it's, it's like not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, so that's going to be, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know what a good analogy would be, but it, it's hard for me to believe. You know, it'd be like Ford saying that, hey, 
you know, next year we're going to quit selling F-150s. Like, it ain't, it ain't going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I don't, so I don't, and, and, that, and what I'm saying actually is, like, pretty perverse because it means that, like, it doesn't matter really what the biology says or the science. Like, that's probably <laughs> off limits. Um, that's my thought. You know, I, I just don't know how they would mechanically do it. I think the other part, other part of it, Adam, is like over-the-counter bulls. If you look at if you look at academic literature on elk, I mean, a spike bull can breed fifty, sixty, a hundred cows easy, no problem. You know what I mean? So, outside of the fact that it's for sure, you know, like there's no bulls to kill, does it really have a big biological impact on the herd to have over-the-counter elk tags? I think that's probably how they view it is it's kind of like a it's a revenue generator that doesn't have a lot of cost to the herd Got right it. that makes sense I, so that's my guess um but you know I'm, i i don't know that that's the thought process but that's my guess the, the thing you know back when you were talking about the variables of what's causing it right the predation the all the other well i mean the trend that i see is that predation is hard to discuss politically because of the politics in Colorado. I understand that. There, there's no doubt that it's part of the problem, right? Um, probably particularly bears. And then the other part of it is all these other activities, you know, people using the mountains. That's yeah. really hard to combat. I'm sure, I'm sure you like, you like to do things other than hunt in the mountains. Yeah. So I think maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there can be an element of education or whatever, but there's just going to be encroachment. It's a beautiful place to live and, and do things. So I get that. Now, what seems to be weird to me is that all the fish and game guys want to blame it all on that. They want to blame it all on mountain bikers and ATVs and whatever else, which conveniently is out of their control. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, but what we don't want to acknowledge, and this seems to be, is a also, in my opinion is we shot too many of them. It's the most straightforward thing to think about. We killed too many elk. We killed particularly uh, cows. We killed too many cows in these units, and we killed too many elk in aggregate. And so, uh, and, and I never hear that discussed. <laughs> and to me, that seems to be like pretty obvious. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like it, well, it seems like the easiest thing to control, you know, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. And often, sometimes I like think about like just hunting in general. Like, what if we just like eliminate? I know it wouldn't be like ideal for on any number, but like just the theory of like, what if we just like didn't hunt for like one year? You know, like what would that what would that do? You know, to the to compounding, you know, over the next like five years, like what would that do for the population and and you know, it, it's just a theory. It would never happen. But like, I just wonder. You know, if you cut back, like, how how big of an impact would yeah, that no, be? Yeah, no, but it's a, but it's a, yeah, it's a good theory, man. Like, why on some of these units, units were frantic to find a solution? Well, to me, an obvious like, hey, let's just see if cutting all the cow tags makes a difference. Because if we're killing a hundred and twenty cow tag cows out of this unit a year, if we didn't kill them you know, for two or three years, that's like, what, that's another 600, you know, you accumulate what their birth rate is and all that. After three or four years, you've got another like six, 700 cows on the landscape. Yeah. Seems to be like relatively like, like 
it's got to be a pretty good solution. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think Colorado does have to address the 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 quantity as well as the quality, you know. I I think I think we're kind of at that point and I think there's a lot of, you know, and it might mean stepping back the the tags a little bit in order to one increase the quality and increase the quantity. I think both of those uh factors are at play in Colorado and I think there needs to be something along those lines to help maybe bring it up a little bit. Um, just my thought, but you know, I, I see it. Yeah, no, I think, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's like, um, and I tend to think these things in like a, in like a business framework, which uh, people might uh, it kind of make some people, they, they think it's gross to think about wildlife that way, but I, I it's just how I think about it. <laughs> and I, and I think it, I think it's also the best way to think about, like the long-term sustainability of the resource. If you don't think about it like in an economic way, it's not, it's not fair to the resource, you know? Yeah. And to me, what you're, what you're hitting on is, um, like, like the deer, for instance, right? Like, uh, the, well, the deer and elk, I mean, basically Colorado has this brand, right? For like opportunity going to the over the counter, it's having the crazy, like awesome experience, Biggest elk herd in the country, like just, you know. Yeah, biggest elk herd in the country. Like, let's just take the archery segment of the of the uh, of the usage and stuff. And yeah, like bulls bugling, you can go out there, you know, do all that stuff. And so they have that brand, right? And that brand's been around for like ever, you know, since before I was alive and everything <laughs> else. So as they like, as the product, you know, the elk. Um, deteriorates and the hunt quality deteriorates it takes a long time for them to see that in terms of tag people buying tags and stuff like that so they get away with it for a long time but i think what happens is people start to people it just it is a business from their perspective like people start to look at and they're like man like i'm not seeing as many elk i'm not hearing bugles the 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 it's not as good of an opportunity more like, and then they start looking at other states. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They start, they start looking at other, other species even, you know, and that's been my argument with the deer. Like there's not a huge pro like, well, I mean, we, I think we can both admit them. There's not this like pro trophy hunting mentality. It, it that's deteriorating. And I think there's yeah. some good things. I think there's some bad things about that, but like, you bring up to a biologist like the size of mule deer and the in the quality of mule deer, which we're the best genetic in the world, so it's hard for me not to. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you bring that up, it's it's not really it's not it's like well it's kind of irrelevant. It's nice that you guys kill a, a you know everybody kills a big giant deer every once in a while. We've got a couple units we manage for that, but it's not really relevant, right? I think it is relevant, but they just don't perceive it that way. I think I think that if you know. No, like in 10 years from now, if no big behemoth 190, 220, you know, big freak deer get killed in, in the, in the biggest deer or 160 inch deer, I think you're going to see a massive migration to people just hunting whitetail. Part of the reason come, people come here is that every once in a while, these big massive mountain bucks get killed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if that goes away, a lot of those hunters will go away. They'll go to another species. They'll go other places. You know, 
So that's my thought on it. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it'll all play out. Part of me feels like you know how Colorado they they lowered the cost of um, preference points for non-residents. Like it was like that, that the one year they did it. Like I think it was. 2017 or 2018 was the first year where they like really dropped it down, you know, where you didn't have to shell out all oh, the money. Oh, yeah, they had get a big, big influx. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like part of me like has this theory that um, maybe they did that so they can get more people to uh, to put in points, right? So then that – so then they, they can transition to like maybe more draw stuff, um, particularly on the L. Oh, so, yeah. You know, like, see where I'm going with that? So that way that when they do transition it over to maybe more draw or less over-the-counter opportunities, there's, like, still a bigger pool where people have the points. I don't know if that makes sense, but that was yeah. part of my no, no, theory no, on I, it. I, 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 <laughs> well, I, I think that there, there's been some discussions that are that are public about that, Adam. I think I think part of the, you know, back to these later seasons, part of the hope is for them to drain – a lot of these people that are holding high points on deer, right? So like they're going to try to get a lot of the people who have 15, 20, whatever, you know, tons of points to use those points in the uh, later seasons, you know, Got it. and then it's going to make that draw the draw more reasonable for people. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would guess that, you know, if there was a transit transition to draw only elk or whatever, the, they're, they're not going to do it all at once. So there's going to be some incremental. Yeah way yeah exactly i think they'd have to because of the financial stuff we talked about but also just so they don't blow people away you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. it's uh regardless of like the condition of the elk coming or whatever there's so there's a lot of people who come here every year kind of regardless you yeah know? yeah no so, yeah um, exactly exactly yeah it'd be interesting i i you know i don't know Maybe, maybe there's probably somebody out there that I, you know, a lot of that stuff I don't think anybody like really publicly talks about because they don't even really know. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're just kind of theorizing what 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 could be possible. You yeah, know? Yeah, so, exactly. But it sounds like but I need to get people CPW. better than me. Yeah, well, it sounds like I need yeah, to yeah. get another episode with CPW, and I need to because I, I had a, I had a, one of the guys. Um, gosh, I can't even remember his name. Um, He's it basically like runs the hunt planning stuff, and it was just an awesome episode because we talked about a lot of the changes in in 2018 to the draw system and and the lottery and and legalities and tags and all that stuff, season dates, and it was really cool. But I would like to get somebody on from CPW to talk more about um, the state of of hunting and in in impact of of resources and influx of of development and how all this coincides and maybe give us a, a an overall look into the future of what what potentially could could come down the pipe so i, I probably need to figure that out at some point here soon be good <laughs> oh yeah yeah sure yeah yeah and you might find that they that's just all who knows you know yeah. what i mean yeah exactly exactly so well, Cliff, this has been this has been really cool. This has been really fun. I, we got into a lot of cool rabbit holes here, and hopefully, I didn't keep you around too long. But uh, it it was just a fun no, episode, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll have to do it again, and and uh, appreciate you coming on. And um, you know, we'll 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 keep bringing you back on on for appearances, man. This is this is good stuff. Yeah, really appreciate good. it. <laughs> well, right, cool, good. Cliff. Well, you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Okay, sounds good, man. All right, and there it is, another episode in the books. Big thanks to Cliff for coming on the show. That was a blast and and really enjoyed talking about all the 
the high level stuff at the end, especially the managing the resource, the the elk numbers, the quality of elk hunting, uh, season date changes for next year, forward thinking on what you know the state of hunting is in in Colorado and what it will be, and you know what we need to do to maybe maybe change that and 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 keep the quality and 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 quantity up in, in of the resource of the elk and deer here in Colorado. So that was that was really fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that. With Christmas coming up, I definitely encourage you to support some of the partners of the Transition Wild blog and podcast. First and foremost, Skullbrew Coffee. What's what's better than a bag of coffee? Uh, you know, there's no easier gift than that to, to send to a family or friend. It's an easy gift, and Skullbrew gives a portion of their profits back to organizations, backcountry hunters and anglers, RMEF, Q, QDMA. So um, when you buy a bag of coffee for a Christmas gift, you're also supporting conservation. So I encourage you to check them out. Uh, SkullbrewCoffee.com. It tastes great. I love it. So uh, highly recommend them. Uh, another partner of the podcast, Outdoor Edge makers of knives, tools, um, butchering kits, you name it. Go check them out, OutdoorEdgeKnives.com. And if you use the code WILD30 at checkout, you'll save 30% off your order. So pick up a knife, pick up some butchering kits, um, whatever you need for the hunter and fisherman in your life, definitely definitely go do that. Check them out, OutdoorEdge.com. Use code wild 30 W-I-L-D-3-0 at checkout for 30% off your order. And last but not least, certainly not least, Expedition Archery. They just launched their new 2020 bows. And if you really want to make a splash in somebody's life, uh, buy them an Expedition Archery bow. You, you, you really can't go wrong. So, uh, again, I love the new. Uh, I have the MX-16. been shooting that thing and love it. So go check one out at your nearest dealer and uh, really make someone in your life happy can't go wrong there (laughs) all right that is it again thanks to our partners expedition archery skull brew coffee and outdoor edge knives thanks again for tuning in and talk to you soon